Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Bowl, Director of Public Affairs. We are coming to you from New Orleans, Louisiana this week, where the American Farm Bureau Federation's 100th Annual Convention is happening. We're going to talk with Spencer Tuma about what the President of the United States had to say to our group today when he visited, and whatever else we've learned from the conference over the past few days. There's been a lot going on. So let's get started. We are coming to you from New Orleans this week. The American Farm Bureau Federation's 100th annual convention is happening down here in the Big Easy, and we are about to wrap up the uh, the agenda for the conference. Tomorrow is going to be the resolutions process. The Spencer Tuma, our director of national legislative programs, has been working hard on keeping up to date with all of the proposals that are going to be uh, put through. And I think there's a few from Missouri that we're going to be talking about there. Uh, but Spencer, appreciate you joining us this week again. Uh, today we had a pretty special guest join us for the uh, second year in a row. Uh, what, what were your impressions from uh, hearing from the president? You know, Eric, you're absolutely right. It's a really, um, it's been an interesting day. It's been an interesting weekend. Um, if you're back in Missouri, you're probably covered under a lot of snow. I know it took a lot of us a little bit of time to actually get out of the state of Missouri, and it is my first time in New Orleans, but President Trump did join us today as a keynote speaker for our closing general session. So he was able to address about 7,000 um American Farm Bureau members uh, from across the country, uh, and he really focused a lot on immigration policy, which we completely expected. Um, I mentioned last week that I hoped to have a better outlook on the government shutdown. Um, unfortunately, the update still is government is still shut down. I believe now we are in the longest shutdown in um, American history on um, on government shutdowns. Um, Unfortunately, I still don't see any legislative solution in the near future that that's going to fix that. So, Yeah, and that was something that I think a lot of people were hopeful that we would hear something about today, uh, that there was going to be some sort of resolution. You know, last week we talked down at the Governor's Conference on Agriculture at Tantara, and BJ uh, Tanksley joined us. And one of the things that he suggested that he had been hearing some speculation was that the president may really try to declare that emergency uh, on the southern border to get out of the mess basically as as a way out but then this morning before arriving uh, here in uh, new orleans we saw that the president said that he's actually not really looking at doing that so i think we all kind of in a way had our fingers crossed that that may be a solution to this but it doesn't sound like that's going to happen no i you know in in federal politics, sometimes you have to kind of think like everything is on the table, but also everything is off the table, depending on what you're hearing in the media. Um, legislatively, I don't really feel like there's much of a solution at this point. Both sides are just dug in really deep. Um, and from the president's speech today, he really reiterated his reasoning for supporting a wall or a physical barrier along the southern border. And he did not back off from that position at all. You know, I, I, I wasn't really sure what to expect. I assumed he would talk about trade and maybe the farm bill. Um, and I expected him to t- touch on immigration policy, of course, but really, you know, a large majority of the speech was dedicated to his reasoning for um, for supporting that wall. And, and a lot of it had to do with the drug problem. And so that's something that Missouri Farm Bureau members are really, really concerned about. That's something American Farm Bureau is concerned about. Uh, we're really concerned about the opioid crisis. B.J. Tanksley mentioned 
mentioned last week that um, Missouri Farm Bureau now supports a prescription drug monitoring program. So that's one way that we know we can address the opioid crisis. However, a lot of the drugs that come into the United States do come across our southern border. So um, that's something that I think a message that really resonates with people. Um, he talked about the impact of fentanyl and heroin and, and other drugs as well. And um, that, that was something that just really struck me about his speech. Yeah, and I agree. I think that's, you know, there's a lot of things that um, that the president talks about that I feel sometimes as though he's reading the talking points. I think this is an issue he really cares passionately about. Um, I think trade is another one of those, maybe sometimes unfortunately the way that uh, his, his approach has been sometimes. But the drug war, his brother died from uh, from alcoholism, I believe, and um, he's uh, been been very famously a teetotaler. He does not drink at all and um, doesn't do drugs and uh, has very strong feelings about that because of what happened to his brother Fred. And uh, it seems like that is a pretty passionate reason that he is behind, is in support of this wall and physical barrier. And like you say, he also uh, did talk about some of the other issues like um, human trafficking that a lot of our members of Congress from the Missouri delegation, including Ann Wagner, as maybe the, the leading voice on that in all of Congress, have been really passionately behind um, doing something about those issues. But it wasn't all just about immigration. It was about some of these other border issues. Um, and he didn't really propose any particular solution uh, beyond the the talking points we've heard in the in the media that did, did you hear anything different than that no i agree with you i think you know you you hear a lot of talking points especially when you work in government relations on you know why immigration is good or bad and illegal immigration and you hear buzzwords like chain migration and anchor sanctuary cities and and anchor babies i'm, I'm putting air quotes around that you know like all of these maybe are are or are not so politically correct but President Trump didn't, he may have touched on those things, but he did not really focus on those in his reasoning. His main reasoning was the drug epidemic and then crime. And, and both of those kind of go hand in hand because, of course, a lot of the drugs that come across are illegal drugs. Um, but, but like I said, that's really what struck me about his speech. And I think you're absolutely right. I do think it is an issue that he's very personally passionate about. Something that I was a little bit surprised by, um, I, I assumed the president would talk about trade. I actually told someone that I was about 100% sure he would talk about trade at some point. And um, I, I think that may have been the first thing out of his mouth, actually, when he first started talking. Right. No, absolutely. And I do think it was. And then, you know, he, he talked about trade, but he really didn't go into a lot of detail on trade. He, he did very little in the way of talking directly about the tariff situation. Um, he talked a little bit about the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement and how we would like to see um, that eventually, you know, succeeding the NAFTA agreement. He touched briefly on China, but really really uh, did not go into a lot of detail. And I don't know what the reasoning for that is, but um, I, I expected a little more on trade. And we just didn't get very much. Not that it was good or bad, just just didn't get much on it at all. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And then the other thing that he did do is kind of go through some of his wins, um, ticked off a few things that were successes in the time uh, that he's, well, not necessarily in the past year since he spoke to us in Nashville, but um, the the just a month or two before the speech in Nashville is when uh, he was able to get the tax reform proposal passed. And there was kind of some cool stuff in there from Missouri, right? 
Oh, absolutely. So um, as you mentioned, he did go through his legislative accomplishments and, and kind of started with the 2017 into 2018 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And he actually gave a personal example and mentioned Missouri's own Kalina Bruce, who's from Cedar County. Uh, she was on our Young Farmer and Rancher Committee and then served as the chair of the American Farm Bureau Young Farmer and Rancher Committee a couple of years ago. Uh, Kalina is actually a certified public accountant as well as a rancher uh, down in southwest Missouri. And he really talked about her expertise on the issue and how she had estimated, you know, farm families are receiving an average of an extra $4,000 back on their tax returns because of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So it was really cool for her to get a shout out. The Missouri delegation was really proud of her. And um, what an honor, I mean, to be recognized uh, by the President of the United States. Uh, Absolutely. She was so excited about that opportunity. And she was able to um, meet him backstage, I believe, and, and shake his hand, get a picture, I believe. I think she said during her uh, experience both with the American Farm Bureau uh, wife and our chair and some of the things she's done after that she's had the opportunity to meet the president three times and she never got a picture and so she <laughs> when the White House called she said that's great but I, can I get a picture this time and they said sure we'll make that happen well that's great yeah <laughs> Any, anything else uh, strike you from the speech today you know I think the last thing, and we talked about a lot of policy issues. We talked about the Farm Bill. We talked about the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, immigration, um, all, of, all of these different things. But I was surprised by how long the president spent with us. I believe he spoke for over 45 minutes, if I'm not mistaken. So um, I know several people in the audience, it may have been their first time seeing the president. And, and we've all been to political speeches where they get up for, you know, five or ten minutes and, and kind of give you the talking points. And it, it was really not like that at all. And, and I'd seen the president before, but I did think it was um, one of the better speeches I've heard him give. It was very comprehensive. Um, he he um, obviously had put a lot of thought into his remarks and um, made us laugh a little bit along the way, but but we had a good time. And, and he the fact that he spent so much time with our group really, I do think, solidifies the, the fact that he does value the opinion of rural America. And I, I don't think um, it's not a secret uh, President Trump did not grow up in rural America. He has, he has very little real-world experience with rural America, but he knows that um, his values tend to resonate with the voters of rural America, and, and I do think he places a high value on that. Yeah, that's so interesting that a New York billionaire who flies in a gold-plated helicopter <laughs> is the guy that really resonates the most with the, the people in rural America, but that's completely true, and I think that he has realized that... Uh, that rural America is where his, where his bread is buttered. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, the, the people that, that believe in his mission. And so he wants to uh, not forget about them. And so we do appreciate that he's given so much time in the past two years. We hadn't had a president join the AFPF convention in 25 years. And now this president has joined us two years in a row. So it's a pretty big honor. Uh, other things that have happened while we've been down here in New Orleans, there's a lot of other things that happened during AFPF convention beyond uh, just the president's speech. Um, there, uh, there have been a number of speakers and panels and things of that nature. Anything uh, that you've pulled out of any of those experiences that you thought were particularly striking? You know, there's really a lot um, a lot to see and do at American Farm Bureau Annual Convention. And one thing I really um, appreciate is that they try to bring in a variety of speakers on different topics that are timely issues, that are important to the members, and they're, they're also just really intriguing and interesting. Um, one that I attended in particular, um, as many people who, who may have listened previously might know, the Missouri legislature in 2018 did pass an industrial hemp pilot program in the state of Missouri, which was then 
been compliant with the 2014 Farm Bill. Now we have passed the 2018 Farm Bill, which delists industrial hemp under the Controlled Substances Act and makes it eligible for a farm program. So the production of industrial hemp is now completely legal in the United States. Um, so I went to a workshop just because, you know, Quite honestly, I don't have much experience with that topic, with that commodity. We've never grown it in Missouri. The Department of Ag is still working on their program. So it was interesting to hear what other states have been doing, how does the federal law impact potential state programs, all those different things that I've had questions about but haven't really known who to ask. And, and this is all, like I said, very new to us. So it was a really interesting topic. Um, they had a lot of really good speakers. There have been topics or workshops on trade. I know President Hurst spoke on a panel that you were able to attend. Um, want to give us any highlights from that? Yeah, actually, that was a really interesting one as well. The, uh, that happened earlier this afternoon, and he was asked to speak as part of a three-person panel to discuss the issues with um, the hog lawsuits in uh, North Carolina, the nuisance lawsuits that were brought against the farmers out there. And hearing their stories, uh, the other two panelists were people who had been uh, more uh, intricately involved in those lawsuits. One was an attorney from the lawsuit on behalf of the farmers. And uh, they have all of these nuisance lawsuits that have been brought against the hog operations, many of them by people who moved uh, into the neighborhood when the hog operation was already happening. Um, and so there's there was a lot of discussion about coming to the nuisance. That's a, 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 a legal theory that says if you, if, if the thing that you're complaining about was already there when you bought the land, you really don't have a right to complain about it. Um, you shouldn't be able to sue for it because you knew what you were getting into, basically. And they said, well, the judge in these uh, first three lawsuits in the North Carolina litigation essentially just allowed them to go around that and say um, that somehow they had um, gone beyond what they were doing originally. Uh, these, one of these places that they talked about said that the hog operation had been there since, I think, 1979, and the the neighboring landowner bought their house in 2011. Oh so we're talking, you know, decades later, and yet three or four years after moving in, they decided to sue because the, the hog operation smelled too bad, and they, you know, whatever, were interfering with their quality of life and usage of their land, and were able to win multiple, multi-million dollar verdicts um, in several of these cases. And so they had asked Blake to be involved in this panel because one of the things that Missouri's done well is um, changed our nuisance lawsuits, uh, statutes, so that the compensatory damages you can get are pretty minor. They're, they're, they're low compared to what they were in these cases. They are limited to the value of the land um, that you're, that, that's in question. So if the, the value, the actual value of the land that the farm sits on is, I don't know, say $100,000, well, then that's the most you can get for your nuisance uh, value, uh, your nuisance lawsuit. And that basically drove all the trial lawyers out of town. Um, almost literally overnight, they just pack, packed up and left and went to North Carolina and started suing there. Poor so North Carolina. Dang. they've had a rough time and uh, they've changed their laws now to sort, somewhat match what Missouri has done. But that was a cautionary tale to show other states, if you don't do it, if you don't, um, if you're not proactive about these things and do them before the problem comes, it's too late. Uh, because once the lawsuits start getting filed, you, you can't go back and change the law as far as uh, things that happened yesterday. So that was the suggestion is really dig into your statutes and be aggressive in ensuring that you're protecting what you have today 
because those trial lawyers are on the prowl trying to find um, situations where there's buckets of money. And I think that was the other interesting thing from that is that uh, someone raised their hand and said, well, what about why didn't you engage with Farm Bureau in these when these lawsuits were being threatened and sit down and talk to the landowners, the neighbors, and work out a compromise? And to their credit, the, the attorney on the panel said, you, you know, this was not a legitimate dispute between neighbors. This was Texas trial attorneys, uh, Texas class action attorneys who came to North Carolina loaded for bear. They were ready to go and they weren't looking to resolve a problem. They were looking to get a giant payday from the corporate owner of these hog farms. Um, and that's what they did. They couldn't care. They didn't want a resolution. They wanted money. And that's what this was about and hate to be so cynical, but it's reality. Well, if they got a resolution, then they'd be out of a job. Absolutely. I mean, like that's the bottom line. Absolutely. And they would, they would have fronted all the money for the lawsuits and gotten not gotten paid back because they're on a contingency fee. So uh, they'll, they'll often put out hundreds of thousands of dollars of fees and expenses and whatnot trying to get the lawsuit prepared, hoping that they're going to strike gold. And if you're in that situation as an attorney, you have zero reason to compromise. Why would you? Because you're just throwing your own money down the drain. So that, I think, was a really eye-opening perspective to hear that, you know, we all want to be able to hold hands and solve our problems um, amicably but some of these people that are coming into your state to file these lawsuits aren't looking to solve problems they're looking to find a way to shave off several million dollars from a company that they think has deep pockets so anyway that was a really really interesting eye-opening um session uh now tomorrow we're uh, doing this let's see what are we is this monday it is monday yeah <laughs> okay monday kind night of lose track of time when you're down here oh. No kidding. Uh, so Monday, uh, we're, we're here Monday night. T- tomorrow, Tuesday, is the resolutions um, session for the AFBF uh, voting delegates. What are you expecting to see come out of that, and what are the Missouri um, priorities in the resolutions? So you're right. Resolutions does start tomorrow. And basically, if you've ever been to the Missouri Farm Bureau annual meeting, the American Farm Bureau annual meeting resolutions um, resolutions committee meeting is very similar to what we do at our annual meeting in Missouri, except for instead of a bunch of delegates from different county farm bureaus, it's a bunch of delegates from every state farm bureau. So every state is represented by a group of voting delegates, um, and that's based on their membership size. So Missouri does have seven voting delegates, um, and those are members of our state board. Uh, and we're going to be debating Debating and talking about policies that are up for adoption into the American Farm Bureau policy book for the coming year. So what we did at Missouri Farm Bureau is after our annual meeting concluded, we took a look at all of the new language that was adopted as well as its existing language um, that's kind of relevant to what is currently going on at the national level. We took a look at all those policies, determined which ones were maybe um, already covered by American Farm Bureau policy, um, which ones we thought maybe needed to rise up to the national level. For an, for example, um, in Missouri, we adopted some policy on lab-grown meat, cell-cultured cell meat, um, and so we were able to take those ideas and priorities to the American Farm Bureau Federation. We put those through a resolutions process in December, and then tomorrow is actually when the American Farm Bureau Resolutions Committee will present their recommended policy changes to the entire voting delegate body. So just like in Missouri, every voting delegate has the opportunity to stand up, to offer amendments, to offer discussion, 
to maybe say there's something in the book that's not relevant anymore and we need to take it out. So um, it's an all-day process. Our members do a really good job. We've, we've done a lot of work on our end preparing for um, preparing for some of the issues. I don't anticipate a lot of controversy this year. Last year, um, American Farm Bureau did approve a dues increase, and that was pretty controversial among the membership. It had been a while since that had been done. Nothing of that sort this year that I anticipate um, from the resolutions committee. You know, I do anticipate that we will see a lot of discussion regarding lab-grown and cell-cultured meat. Um, and I think we're probably going to hear a lot of um, viewpoints on trade as well. So we have um, we've been dealing with the uncertainty and the tariffs and, and that whole situation for a little while now. So it'll be interesting to see um, if people's thoughts and feelings have changed since the last annual meeting, which is kind of when we were really just kind of ramping this trade stuff up. Um, so, so we've had a little bit of time to sit on that topic. Um, but you never know um, what somebody might bring up. And the most interesting thing to me is just like different county farm bureaus have issues in their parts of Missouri that other people in other parts of the state may have no idea is a problem or, or may have never even heard of it. Um, it's very similar amongst the state farm bureaus. You know, there's, there's a proposed resolution about the labeling of added sugar contents in maple syrup. I would have never thought that in Missouri, I would have never thought that was an issue, right? But that is a, apparently a really, really big deal in the maple syrup industry. And the more I think about it and the more I study the exact language, I can see how that is. And so um, it's, it's a really big learning experience, I think, for our members, but also for our staff, because I've only been doing this a couple years and um, it, it's, it's interesting every year. And you never know, um, I've always heard, you know, this is like a moral more of a moral, I'm going to get on the feel-good side for a minute. People always say, you know, don't ever judge someone until you know what they're going through because they could be going through something that you have no idea what that's about. And it's kind of like that in ag policy, right? Like, I have no idea the maple syrup growers are mad about uh, added sugar labels. Like, I would have no clue, but I can sympathize with that. And that's what American Farm Bureau is all about. So uh, it should be a fun day. Yeah, I, I do think it's really interesting to see the um, diversity across the all the 50 states plus Puerto Rico the different um, commodities that people deal with and the different, um, well, policy issues. You know, immigration is a much larger issue in many states than it is in Missouri as far as farm labor goes. And uh, there's a lot of other issues that we may generally know a little about, but it's not that many. There aren't that many people in Missouri dealing with them. And then you've come across a state from a different region that it's life or death to them. And I think that there's just those more pronounced regional differences at AFBF than there even are at Missouri Farm Bureau. Um, but it is, uh, Missouri is one of the more diverse agriculture states. So sitting at the crossroads of north and south and east and west, we really do kind of catch a lot more of the issues than probably the average state does. And so I think we have, we're, it's kind of like the way that we've always been a political bellwether. I think we're a bit of an agricultural bellwether as well. We have about, you know, your equal, um, almost equal livestock and row crop. Um, and we don't have as much of the, you know, produce, especially crops as a lot of other states. But we do have some of that and a lot of different things. So anyway, I think that Missouri sometimes is a good way to take the pulse of what's going on nationally. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, and I do think the thing, I, I mentioned it, but um, that surprised me the most is even though Missouri as a state grows a very diverse range of agricultural products, 
um, generally on a lot of issues, we, we ultimately come to the same solution. And, and it doesn't seem to be that way in other states. And, and I have to wonder, is that because we are so divor- diverse that we're able to come to a consensus, you know, because we take everybody's different viewpoints into account when we're debating issues um, across commodities or maybe between livestock producers and row crop producers, a lot of states don't have that diversity. And so I think you're absolutely right. Um, looking at Missouri is a, is a good way to get a pretty comprehensive look at agricultural policy. But again, there's no way we'd be able to catch everything. One thing I do want to mention is um, I think there will be some very significant policy adopted on broadband into the American Farm Bureau Policy Book. We talked some uh, today about infrastructure and um, I think broadband plays a big role in that. And in the 116th Congress, that might be the only bipartisan issue that can be um, can be agreed upon and maybe come to a solution. So broadband, transportation, infrastructure, I think you're going to see maybe some increased attention to that policy moving into the coming year. Yeah, and you also served on a panel uh, regarding infrastructure this morning, and I thought you did a very nice job as well about discussing how to um, engage with people on a very difficult topic to talk about and how to how to show people what the uh, concerns are, what the needs are, what the issues are. And um, I think that we're relatively hopeful about the prospects of infrastructure, as I think we've talked about on the show before. Um, but I think that we do uh, need that push from AFBF to get it in the policy book so that we can really move forward. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And um, my favorite phrase, I, I was really pleased to be asked to work, do the workshop this morning, but something that I'm trying to keep in mind is that all infrastructure is local to someone, whether you're talking about it on the local, state, or national level. And um, one of the reasons I was brought onto the panel was to talk about how state farm bureaus can engage with their members. And, and a lot of that was because of the Proposition D campaign that we worked on last year. And while ultimately we were not successful statewide, um, I think we learned a lot of lessons. And so we're hoping to to adopt some policy that we have as a, as a little bit of a backdrop, but then also kind of use those lessons that we learned to hopefully make some real progress in the coming year. Yeah, and one of your other uh, co-panelists this morning said something that I thought was really insightful. I wrote down that um, he, he suggested that with all the trade um, disruptions and arguments and all the back and forth that's been happening in trade policy over the past year or two, um, I think there's a lot of um, people who are stuck in their positions on both sides of the issue, and we're not going to make significant headway on a lot of them anytime too soon. But he suggested infrastructure is a tool in the toolkit in Washington, D.C., that can really be used to promote um, our competitiveness internationally, that if we can if we can't agree on changing the tariff rates or agreeing to a new uh, free trade agreement with a country, okay, well, let's accept that that might be a a reality for a while. What else can we do that would actually benefit us long-term in the ag industry? And those things may be, let's put some money into the long-term infrastructure, maybe dredging the Mississippi River was one of the things he talked about, or improving lock and dam infrastructure uh, that we've talked about a million times over the past 10 years that needs to be done. Um, but if you could, if we can't agree on the other things, maybe we could do some of those things. And 10, 20 years from now, those are still going to be benefiting us. Yeah, ultimately, that's a net gain. I mean, it, it's important to look, and infrastructure to me is kind of a long-term goal. I mean, there are things you can do in the short term, but it's a long-term investment. And so um, you have to always be thinking about that as well. Things in Washington never happen overnight, as you well know. So, um, but, but that that struck me as well. Yeah, it's just such an interesting thought to 
to look at infrastructure as a trade policy. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a way to um, improve our, our trade competitiveness internationally by not addressing directly trade policy, but it really does have long-term effects. Anyway, well, I think that's all uh, been, been great. A, a very good conference so far. Um, look forward to wrapping it up tomorrow with the resolutions process and see what comes out of there. Um, but I think that that's, uh, that's about everything that we needed to share about the AFBF 100th Annual Convention. Um, next year is going to be in Austin, Texas. So uh, that'll be an interesting, a little different flavor than New Orleans. New Orleans is a pretty unique place. Um, it, it has been, so it's my first time here. Um, I, I will tell you, I am a small town Missouri girl at heart. Sometimes I don't like the traffic in Jefferson City. Um, New Orleans is, is different than I, I have ever seen. But it, it's been a really great experience. And, if, I, you know, I love to travel, so I would always recommend. If you have the opportunity, you should experience it at least once. But it is a lot different than Shell City, Missouri, let me tell you. That's for sure. It's a really interesting place because it is so unique. And the culture is so unique that you can't go anywhere else and see anything like it. But we were here on, um, I guess it was Sunday, yesterday, the Saints were playing in their playoff game at the Superdome, which is like, what, five blocks from our hotel or something. And the, there were people everywhere. And they're so loud and raucous and intoxicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was an interesting experience that you don't see in Shell City. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Well, with that, you know, as we kind of close out, uh, we should mention that the Chiefs will be playing for the AFC Championship and, and as two native Western Missourians. Um, any any thoughts on the weekend's game before we close it out? Any oh, predictions? My, oh, my goodness. You know, you've got Brady, who's been there 150 times. And so that experience really makes me nervous. But I feel like they're beatable. I really think that this is the year that the Patriots run out of gas and Mahomes takes them out. I don't know. What do you think? I hope you're right. All I know is it is going to be cold at the game. I think it's supposed to be like four degrees or something. So um, we'll be sitting here hoping for a Chiefs win. Next time we talk next week, I hope I can say that the Chiefs will be playing in the Super Bowl. That would be pretty awesome. First time in both of our lives, for sure. And actually, I guess that was probably the first time the Chiefs won a home game uh, at Arrowhead in the playoffs since you were born. That it, that is correct. Now, um, they did win a playoff game last year, but it was not at home. So um, that that does make a difference. So um, my parents were at the last home game, home playoff game that they won, I believe. Wow. So, um, but the, yes, that was prior to when I was alive. That's Thank just you. so sad. Thanks and for the reminder. yeah, and as a Chiefs, a lifelong Chiefs fan, um, what do I really think is going to happen? Well, we'll lose in heart wrenching, gut wrenching <laughs> fashion. Um, or not get a, a first down the entire game. That's probably more likely what I think is going to happen. <laughs> but that's just my pessimism based on, you know, the past 25 years. Oh, ye of little faith. That's all uh, I have to say. <laughs> uh, uh, the uh, lovely, you know, youth uh, optimism, youthful optimism. It's wonderful, too. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up. Appreciate you talking with us, and we'll look forward to getting back to it next week. Okay. We'll see you next week. Go Chiefs. Thank you for joining us this week. Next week, we'll be back in the office in Jefferson City, and we'll try to get you an update on what's happening at the state capitol, as well as any updates on the shutdown, and hopefully that Chiefs Super Bowl appearance. We will talk to you then.